commentary podcast my name is adam my name is jeremy and we're here to discuss the x-men february 1968 issue number 41 titled now strikes the subhuman yeah i think last issue didn't they promise like the coming of grotesque or something that was exactly what they pro- uh, proclaimed to which I was a little bit grossed out. Maybe they, uh, the censors got or the comics code was like, you can't publish a comic title that. <laughs> the heck's wrong with you? Yeah, so it's uh, X-Men number 41 uh, on the top, on the front cover. It's, uh, it's an orangish-brown cover with uh, Beast and Iceman repelling off of a very giant-looking man. And uh, it also promises the bonus continuing the blockbuster origin of Cyclops. And I don't know if we touched on this, but at some point in the recent past, uh, Angel is no longer flying above the logo, and Cyclops is, or I mean, Professor X isn't having his brain aneurysm. Oh, yeah. And it it wasn't last issue that they changed it. It was maybe the issue prior. I don't know when it was, but... The last issue with the brain aneurysm was, it was 38. 38, folks. You heard it here late. (laughs) <laughs> Once they advertised new costumes and new thrills in issue thirty nine, it was it was it was done for. It was over. Just they were moving on. Okay, so there you go. And it looks like the big, huge humanoid creature is uh, lifting a girder. Sort of a, a brownish red treatment here. And another interesting little story about this. Uh, I think on issue eleven, I told listeners about this place called Twentieth Century Comics that had X Men comics or actually just comic books in general in the back of the store, uh, back issues and such. They had issue number 11 for like $3, as I told in that story, and I think they had a rather beat-up copy of this also for like 4 or $5, and I didn't buy it. <laughs> I bet you're going to be regretting that one. Well, I, it just it's a part of the lore, man. If I could have had a copy of 11 and 41, that'd, go, that'd be neat. You know, bag it and board it. I mean, it'd never be worth anything, but you could be like, I have a comic book from 1968, and it's the X-Men. Remember when you used to keep your comics on your walls? Yeah, that was dumb. <laughs> it was kind of cool, though. Yeah, it was. It was Well, you know where I got that from? Um, do you remember? From a comic shop? No. Uh, well, that would be the obvious uh, uh, answer, but do you remember that show called My Secret Identity? No. It featured the fat kid from Stand By Me, who went on to be on uh, The Time Show. Do you remember that show? I can't no. Remember. It wasn't called The Time Show, but it was... <laughs> time Sliders. Time Sliders. Yeah. He was or was also, it just Sliders? It might have just been Sliders. The, the, the guy who was in that was in My Secret Identity and was the fat kid in Stand By Me. 
Well, hmm. any, anyways, on my secret identity, which was in that starting lineup on Channel Forty Seven when it first started. Oh, you don't know that. That's Madison Lore. Never mind. That's when <laughs> <laughs> that's when Fox first started uh, the Fox Network. They had like Married with Children, The Simpson or the Tracy Ullman Show, and then a little later on, they added on My Secret Identity. Anyhow, he hung his comic books on the wall. And the whole story was he, he had been accidentally radioactively treated by his professor friend who was next door, and he could fly and had super strength. But kind of like Greatest American Hero, he didn't have the best control over his powers. But, I see. But, it, but, but during the day in his bedroom, his comic books were hung on the wall. I always thought that was so cool. And so when I got a big collection, I said, I'm going to hang these on the wall. And I did. Didn't you do that for a while, too? I did. I got it from you. Uh, well, I mean, it wasn't... You can take solace in the fact that you weren't copying me. We were both copying a TV show. <laughs> I learned it by watching you. <laughs> so there you have it, folks. This this would have looked... Uh, you know, you could have gotten like a nice little frame for this. And even though it was in beat-up condition, it would it would look good on the wall. Yeah, it would have. Alongside X-Men number 11. Yeah, both of which I don't have. Yep. All right. Well, let's uh, let's start reading this book then. How about that? Now strikes the subhuman. Yeah, it's uh, it's another Roy Thomas Don Heck uh, duo with uh, George Tusca inking and Sam Rosen lettering. They're in the subway, and this big behemoth guy lunges out of the tunnel, and a train is heading for him, and it's an action-packed panel. They slam on the brakes. I don't know what's happening in this second panel. It's a very strange angle. Oh, it's a yeah. It looks like either the train or the subhuman dude sideways. Yeah, somebody's falling from the sky or doing a little jig. <laughs> I can't tell what's going on here. You're right. I didn't even notice that before. The train coming towards me must jig. <laughs> yeah. So the train conductor's like, okay, well, I put the handbrake on, and but they can't stop in time because this man is right in front of it. But that's when the conductor notices that. The face, it's not human. It must be subhuman. It must be. And it's at this point that the subterranean man stops the train on a dime by by using his muscles. Which you'd think yeah. with like the force of momentum, like it would have kept going maybe. Like he could have stopped the front part, but the sides would have kept going around the subhuman guy, thus crushing and killing the subhuman guy and ending the story. <laughs> but no. 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 He has a very large grip. Ah, very wide berth on him. He's able to stop the yeah, entire Yeah, he's very large. Yeah, okay, fair enough. I'm getting like a He-Man vibe from him. He definitely has a He-Man quality. He's got like the like the iron vest thing going on, just like a, like a He-Man per- character. Yeah, he's like Prince Adam. Yeah, and he's got a loincloth and boots, bare legs, bare arms, long hair. He-Man was derived from this character. I'm certain of it. <laughs> could be. It could definitely be. So he he's confused the, the subterranean dude. He's like, monster attacks me, but I will smash it. Oh, now I'm getting a Hulk vibe. <laughs> he starts off very inarticulate. Let's see where it takes us. <laughs> so Bobby and... Hank and their respective girlfriends are also on this train. They're in the back, wondering what the heck's going on They, they as the, the train slams on its brakes, and then the lights go out. They were looking for a way to escape. 
to go check out what was happening at the front of the train anyway. So they they take this poorly lit opportunity to rush to the front of the train and whip on their costumes, once again abandoning their girlfriends. Yeah, I think this was just an excuse for them to get a little bit of alone time. Like Beast and Iceman hired this guy. <laughs> uh, we gotta go out with the girls. Could you just show up and maybe cause a little distraction? It was Beast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, clearly. Iceman has no idea. We, yeah, he's oh, sure Beast. <laughs> I'd like to experiment too. Now put on your costume post haste. <laughs> now take it off slowly, <laughs> slowly. Oh, a little faster. Little, no, 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 slower. <laughs> and turn. <laughs> All right, so uh, they get on their costumes and they jump out of the train and they confront the big, tall He-Man guy and uh, they start fighting. Beast uh, slams him in. Well, first Beast gets knocked over Mm -hmm. straight into Iceman and then somehow he jumps up from that position and kicks him. It looks like he kicks him in the hand, but manages to knock him over. Yeah, he does like a little rebound trick off of Iceman or something, I, I'm i going to guess here. At which point he comments about the guy's appearance and says, He's so unbelievably grotesque. Grotesque, yes, let that be my name. <laughs> For that which I was, I am no more. Ooh. All right, now I'm getting a Yoda vibe. Mm, For that which I was, I am no more. Uh, okay so then um an ice man whips up an ice boomerang which judging he throws the ice boom well why a boomerang of all things so it can return to him but he throws it at him and it smashes (laughs) i don't know why he needs an ice boomerang and apparently it was a large ice boomerang too because when it smashes it smashes all over the place yeah, well, the panel here that we're looking at is either a crazy perspective shot or the ice boomerang is literally the height of Iceman. I'm going to have to guess based on the next panel that it is the height of Iceman. <laughs> so, again, maybe this is just a, a, a period where the artist and um, writer were not really communicating very well. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, this is what you get. So it smashes against the sub-human guy and... and uh, Iceman decides, well, you know you know what worked on Frankenstein? If I, when I encased him in ice, it was the only time it ever worked. But now that it worked once out of 20, I'm going to try it on everybody. So I'm going to try and freeze you. Well, it worked on a bunch of humans, too. That's true. He did, he did mortally wound and kill some humans. So, you know, as a first try, it's not a bad idea. It just, you know, never works on super beings. Unless they're Frankenstein. Right. Who wasn't a super being, but was an alien android. Right. <laughs> you all listened to the last issue, didn't you? Okay. Uh, and he busts out of the ice, and he says, Fall before the shattering power of him that you have called grotesque. <laughs> Me? I'm going to talk in every person there is. First, and second, and third person. <laughs> Fall before the shattering power of him that you have called grotesque, who is I. <laughs> just add that on there he repels the ice against uh, Beast and Iceman and Beast and Iceman go dodging off in different directions and then Grotesque takes off behind a rock and then moves a very large boulder in front of his path so that Iceman and Beast can no longer follow 
Yeah, and so you remember his initial uh, verbiage towards the train was, ooh, monster, me destroy. Well, now it's gotten into, I shall waste no more time in useless combat with the men of you outer world. But when next we meet, beware of grotesque. So now he's gotten a little bit more wordy and a little bit more articulate here. Well, he's hanging around Beast. He's a fast learner. Ah, he's just picking up. I can use a lot of extra words that mean nothing. (laughs) Sounds smarter. He just wants to fit in. So Beast runs up and tries to move the boulder out of the way, but it's unsuccessful because it's way too heavy. And then the train starts up and runs them both over. And they're dead. Yeah. It's kind end of, of an, issue. Kind of an uninteresting end of Beast and Iceman. No, what really happened? Um, See, that's what I actually thought happened with this panel where the light's happening. I thought, oh, the train started up. These guys are doomed. But apparently it's just from the station ahead. A very somber-looking Iceman here. Yeah, so Iceman says, oh, the light there over there. It must be the subway police. They heard the sound of the fight. Beast agrees, and then they say, let's cut back in. Oh, so what they do is they cut back. We don't get to see any of this, but what they do is they cut back into the train, get back into their civilian clothes, and then meet up with Zelda and Vera. Look how sad Iceman looks. He is very sad in this panel. He's like the thinker. Uh, yeah, he's not sad. He's he's more um, deep in thought. Yes. He's pondering something. He's pensive. He's like, Beast, what is it all for? <laughs> we fight the villains and they come back. What if we just let them win once? Couldn't be so bad, living under the rule of an evil mutant. Quiet, you. Take <laughs> Take your pants off. <laughs> now put them back on <laughs> slowly slowly all right so anyways they they do all of that which i described earlier and uh now they're walking on the some somewhere in, in manhattan yeah and... where a pair of legs is walking a small dog <laughs> you see that it's a great it's a great perspective shot and underneath the legs and the leash are the uh, uh ice man beast and their their ladies so it's, it's kind of a neat shot yeah Kind of. It would be neater if the dog was peeing or something. <laughs> like a forced perspective shot peeing on the X-Men. But not really. <laughs> or maybe they were under the stream of pee. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you could you could be so creative with that. I wonder why <laughs> they didn't take more chances like that in the 60s. Yeah. The whole comics code, I guess, wrecked everything. Well, anyways, uh, they the ladies are again like, what? I still don't understand what happened. And Iceman and Beast, they make up some quick little cover stories. Iceman says, I did what any red-blooded all-American boy would do when he's alone in a darkened train with the love of his life. Namely, I went looking for a match, Natch. Um, Any red-blooded all-American boy would not go looking for a match when he's all alone in the dark with the love of his life. Exactly. He would totally start groping her. (laughs) Oh, baby, when I get scared, I just got a cop a feel. You don't mind, do you? Exactly. It's my way of comforting you. <laughs> oh, you. <laughs> Natch. Natch. Vera confronts Beast, and Beast is like, oh, yeah, I hate to leave you. Yet again. Yet again. But I'm gay. <laughs> but I like dudes. Uh, I mean. <laughs> but it's not cool to like dudes in the 60s, so that's why I'm hanging out with you. You'll have to trust me when I say something came up. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> Um, I gotta be honest here. Vera does look kind of manly, don't you think? Of course she does. (laughs) 
well, she's the manliest woman I could find, I guess. <laughs> so anyways, they cut their date short and head back to the mansion because they want to fill the professor in with what's going on. Meanwhile, elsewhere in darkened caverns beneath the city, he has, uh, Grotesque has, has returned back to his minimalistic style of speaking. Must remember how I came here, who I am. Yes. Or but, maybe he just has more dots. Uh, he's just got a lot of dots. He's deep in thought. He's trying to figure out what's going on. and So he's trying to recall uh, what happened. He seems to remember that he was not always like this. He must keep trying to remember. And then... <laughs> now he, he's got a Shatner vibe. <laughs> I must remember. So then we go into a futuristic metropolis but it turns out that this futuristic metropolis is below the surface of the earth when i first turned this page and i saw the second panel i was like "Ooh, he's descended from the celestials yeah i was kind of thinking that too but he's not <laughs> these are just guys that have staffs and funny helmets like celestials but aren't actually celestials uh they're much smaller yeah although i kind of like this uh bit of dialogue here it says in the first panel Though none from above could have known it, we had existed there since Time Out of Mind. Yeah, it was a good Bob Dylan album. Time Out of Mind. It's also a Warren Zevon lyric, as well as uh -huh. many other people have used that lyric. <laughs> it all started here. Yep, I think all of, these, all of these artists ripped off this issue. Yep. The, yeah, Most I, of them without even knowing it. <laughs> I bet Bob Dylan has a copy of this. Oh, it's framed. He's got the copy I was supposed to buy. Yeah, exactly. Bagged and boarded, hanging on his wall. So anyways, uh, apparently, even though they were in a metropolistic future um, with an advanced civilization, apparently they were always at war with one another. There were many of these tribes. And when their wars would kind of bubble up to the surface, it would manifest itself in the form of what men have named volcanoes. Right. Yeah. Those who were called humans knew no more of us except when our ceaseless, when we caused volcanoes. Mm -hmm. And we always had an ignorance of an even larger world over our very heads. It's just confusing. How does he know that they caused volcanoes if he doesn't know that a world exists above their heads? Well, and how does he know that uh, men named these explosions volcanoes it seems to me like they knew that there was an outside world but they just didn't quite know how to get to it but it also seems to me that they didn't know that there were humanoids on this outside planet total ignorance he says total ignorance of the outside world okay all right total ignorance but then an even larger world over our very heads that means they don't know about volcanoes they don't know about humans yeah you're right and then in the very next panel, he says, "And those who called, and those who were called humans, knew mo knew no more of us." Well, that makes sense at least. Okay. <laughs> so apparently, they ran out of things to fight about in the underworld, so they decided to uh, ascend the mysterious shafts which lead to the outer world. Uh, if we must, we must learn if there are others like us, creatures whom we can conquer. Shaft. <laughs> and then they all hailed King Chrono, and at that time, uh, a fearful moment. The Earth itself seemed to strike out against them. 
there was a large explosion, which, I don't know, killed them all, basically? Yeah, pretty much. Um, Grotesque was telling people, uh, I guess here he's Prince Gortok. Mm. He's telling people, no, do not run. You must not panic. But I don't know. This seems like a pretty good time to panic. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the whole thing is crumbling in. People are getting crushed and... There's dudes like, it's no use, my prince. Even the son of the king, Chrono, can't... Arr! So that dude just died. Yeah. And yet, they're supposed to remain calm. Mm-hmm. Die with honor. <laughs> exactly. So this is uh, Gortek. Gortok is the prince of the king who decided he wanted to go to the overworld and uh, outer world and, and kill everybody. So there's that backstory. Which, from what I can tell... The difference between Gortok and Grotesque is he has Grotesque has red eyes and Gortok doesn't and is wearing pants. Well, Gortok has trimmed bangs with long hair. Grotesque has unkempt hair with uh, not so well of defined bangs. And no pants. And no pants. That's true. You're right. Uh, and so he he and his uh, princess are the only two left after a while uh, because people, uh, the illness, there was an illness that spread like cave fire, whatever the hell that is, uh, through all the cities of his doomed race. But then his own princess, does that mean his sister or was that his wife? <laughs> Both. <laughs> okay. Uh, the lovely Ingar, uh, she died. And so that's when he decided that he would... Uh, get revenge on the creatures of the outer world. Despite having not knowing anything about the creatures of the outer world. Right. Total ignorance. Except what Kronos said. Well, Kronos decided that there was an outer world and wanted to see if there's, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, they're all going on <laughs> faith that there's an outer world. <laughs> I suspect that there might be people outside that I am totally ignorant of and let's go get them and... And stuff. So based on the Marvel Universe, uh, there's a lot of different creatures that are unaware of each other and us living under the crust of our Earth. I got the feeling that this city covered the entirety of the Earth. Yeah. Well, so that means is it part of the Savage Land? I don't know. Savage Land is deeper. Where does Mole Man live? Doesn't he live in the underworld? Uh, he lives in Mole Land. <laughs> okay. But all of this is underneath the crust of the Earth, right? Yeah, I guess so. Okay. Gortok, or as he's he's slowly transforming into what we now know as grotesque, he's aimlessly wandering the um, uh, the underworld, kind of like Kane from Kung Fu, looking for problems oh, yeah. to solve. <laughs> and there, there are no problems to solve underground because he's the only one he's left. He's the only one left. So it's a very easy life for him. If only he had discovered Mole Man and the Moloids. <laughs> Yeah, and then so uh, this is where the connection is made. I, who was once far more, am now less than human. He's not even... I'm grotesque, the subhuman. Yeah, I don't know. They called themselves humans, but now all of a sudden he's a human. Yeah, don't make any sense. And then it goes on to say, But it was the human's atomic radiation that made me so, that killed my father, my princess, all my once proud race. So... I'm led to believe, and this would be kind of a cool story arc if this is like the uh, atomic bomb testing that we did like in the 50s and such. Mm. Like if that was the spark that killed all of these subhuman people. 
That would be kind of cool. And I feel like that's what they're trying to infer here, but they don't ever really say it. I'm, I'm going to go with it. That's I kinda, like it. It's kind of a neat idea. Although the thing that I don't like about it is that he has no idea that the people up above had anything to do with it. He's going on faith. <laughs> like, have there has there never been an earthquake that just happened? No, every earthquake has been caused by their wars. So anyways, they're, uh, they're in the mansion. Now the X-Men, the three remaining X-Men, because Iceman and Bobby are still, or Iceman and Beast are still working their way back to the mansion. And they're in the danger room. And the professor is running a very drill sergeant-like exercise. He's telling Cyclops to use his octo, uh, octo beam, his optic beam at its most narrow to nudge open the lock on that door, a feat which Cyclops has been able to do before. Mm-hmm. At this time, he is concentrating too much on the professor and is unable to do it and destroys the doorknob. He's none too pleased about this either. Uh, he starts to kind of taking out Cyclops' failure on Angel, saying, do this high-speed aerial maneuverability test, and and Cyclo- or, uh, Angel's like, okay, no problem, I'll do that, and it'll take the focus off of Cyclops. But that's at that point that he gets sucked into an air duct the professor shouts to Marvel Girl, rescue him with your levitational powers, Marvel Girl, quickly, faster, faster! I'm doing my doing best, best, professor. <laughs> That's not good enough. Not yet, girl. He doesn't say girl. Okay, fine. Give him a little credit. <laughs> In his present state, Angel's helpless at the mercy of any enemy. It took you eight seconds to pull the angel away from that suction tunnel. If an evil mutant had been operating it, he probably would have been able to do very little. But still, I'm going to yell at you. Eight seconds. I'm angry. And you both would have been destroyed. (laughs) And Cyclops, ever the peacekeeper, aren't you being a little hard on Gene and Warren? After all, you can't expect perfection. Shut up, boy. You couldn't even open the door. (laughs) You're still locked outside while they're dying inside. How do you feel about that? How can you sleep with yourself at night? You make me sick. Professor, are you okay? Shut up. (laughs) Go get me some liver. No, but he does. He does kind of erupt. He's like, but I can, Scott. And I do in our sworn roles. Anything less than perfection is why it's virtual suicide. I I suppose you're right, sir. That's when he backhands Marvel Girl. Things get really (laughs) awkward from here on out. (laughs) No, he doesn't. But it's at this point that uh, Iceman and Beast come in, and they're all, like, swinging and happy and stuff, and they're like, yeah, we're dressed in our civvies. And uh, Beast says, he says, uh, I trust that young Master Drake and I are not intruding upon some... Tete-a-tete. What the hell's that? Head-to-head. is the direct translation. just means a conversation. Gotcha. And the professor is none too happy that these two X-Men have appeared in the danger room without their uniforms. To which Beast responds, yeah, but we got important information, so I figured it would be sort of trifling incidental. And that's when the professor takes issue with his vocabulary, finally... And says, look, boy, I know what you're saying, and it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Rules are made to be obeyed, for any deviation from them may spell disaster, as I've warmed you countless times. Oh, we're sorry, Professor Xavier. 
Apology accepted, but give yourselves each two demerits, which means no trips to the city for a month. In fact, you can't leave the bathroom. <laughs> That's right. Go to the bathroom and don't come out for a month. Wash each other's backs. Slowly, though. <laughs> Slowly. So this is what I got. I got a question here. Now, they, in issue eight or something, they graduated from the school. Mm-hmm. So now they're just kind of hanging out. You know, the professor gives them presumably room and board. Uh, they they go visit their parents from time to time. Jean apparently has dropped out of that city college that she was going to. Well, yeah, that completely was abandoned. <laughs> <laughs> and Ted Roberts is somewhere on a campus moping about, oh, where's Jean? Maybe she graduated. Uh, we never saw it, but it's it's possible. She took she took a one year matriculated course. <laughs> sure, or she took a sabbatical. Look, I gotta I gotta step away from my studies for a little bit. But why? I mean. Under what authority is the professor able to take away city privileges? Yeah, seriously. As we've seen, he doesn't pay these people, (laughs) and they're not under his tutelage. They just listen to him. (laughs) They're scared of him. Blind faith will get you in trouble every time. Yeah, he's kind of a cult leader. So anyways, the professor's like, that's enough. Uh, Get back to your studies. I got to do something. Gene, come with me. I'd like to talk to you in private. He's so cold, so stern tonight, and only I can even guess at part of the reason why. Huh? (laughs) Well, as we saw last issue, they have something going on. Secret experiments, which Marvel Girl is denying. It's a love affair. (laughs) So, uh, Marvel Girl goes into the professor's office. They have a little dialogue back and forth. The professor's like, I'm sorry I got carried away. It's essential that the X-Men act as a perfect team now more than ever. I know, sir, and yet, if only you'd tell the others what you recently told me. (laughs) No, Gene, you'll have to trust my judgment. The other X-Men must know nothing of that matter. (laughs) And now, are you ready to continue our experiments? Yes, Professor. Okay. (laughs) Let's see if I can feel it this time. (laughs) Uh, Professor? Shut up, girl. You know what I'm talking about. So uh, we don't really know what's going on here, but we do know that Marvel Girl and the Professor are working on something in secret. Because the next panel we get uh, kind of a chastised-looking beast who's like, well, geez, I was just trying to tell the Professor about a thing we found. Is it just me, or has the Professor been extra tense lately? More demanding than ever. Hmm. Only since this issue. He seemed okay last issue. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Somebody was, somebody's trying to do a quick plot turnaround, I think. So anyways, as they're trying to figure out what the heck's wrong with the professor, we go to Archer College in the heart of Manhattan, where a man smoking a cigar is attempting to prove that he can cause earth tremors with a machine called a nuclear oscillatron. To which someone says... It's impossible, and you know it. You cannot create an earth tremor with a nuclear oscillatron. Einstein proved this ten years ago. (laughs) Then give me your undivided attention for a few minutes, my skeptical friends, and I'll prove to you that even a college board of trustees can be mistaken. All right, but if you can't produce even a mild tremor, you need to stop discussing your far-fetched theories in your classes. <laughs> Jeez. Wow. What kind of college is this? 
So what if he can't prove it? Then he just isn't allowed to talk about it? <laughs> He's not allowed to talk about his experiment. Well, I've got this idea in this experiment, but can't prove it to the board of trustees, so uh, not going to talk about it. <laughs> Anyways, let's talk about gravity. So uh, he apparently turns the machine on, and the Earth starts to tremble, and it happens to be right where Grotesque is walking around. Oh, it's the whole Earth, man. Oh, he, he, shook, he shook the entire Earth? Yeah. Okay. Nobody else cares. <laughs> and so Grotes is like, oh, God, for the love of, I just wanted some peace and quiet. And even down here, I get, oh, the same thing. Earthquakes. The ones that killed my family, my people, my princess. He came here of all places where his people once dwelt because there are no earthquakes here. Except for None. that one. He figures that the odds are pretty good that they won't happen again. <laughs> What's you know, lightning doesn't strike two places in there? Yeah, it's two places at the same time, does it? The same place twice. That's what he's banking on. Not only does it happen a second time, but it happens a third time. Another slight tremor. It cannot be mere chance. They must be directed at me by the outer world. And if that be so. I shall seek out its cause, and I shall smash that cause and its creators. Blah. First I smash Monster Train. But wait, perhaps that fate which doomed my people has decreed that the hour of my revenge is at hand. What? Wait for what? That's what he's doing. <laughs> it's like he's arguing the same point to himself. I must kill them. No, wait, but what if I should kill them? <laughs> I don't know. I think you should kill them. So, but he's he's crawling up. He's got like his little mini Thor hammer that he's using to crawl up the shafts. And uh, he says, you know what? I don't care what happens. I'm going to destroy the earth and its masses, even though I must perish in that same holocaust. So back at the college. All right, fine. You proved it. But you can't use that anymore. <laughs> uh, because in doing so, you may have heralded the end of the earth. What? Rubbish. Is it, Doctor? Are you positive? This is like the Large Hadron Collider of 1968. The nuclear oscillatron. Don't turn it on, man. You might cause a black hole which sucks the Earth into it and all life as we know it. So they decided to move it into a safe place. Well, it's actually the, the second to last panel basically shows that, oh, if we turn it on, the whole core might explode. It's basically, that's the Earth exploding right there. Cool. Because of some dude's nuclear oscillatron. It's a pretty powerful weapon. Or yeah. device. And somewhere in here he talks about like, oh, it was never designed to be used for horrible purposes. It was only designed to better mankind. <laughs> yes, the, <laughs> the nuclear earth-shaking machine was designed to better mankind somehow. In ways we cannot yet dream of. We needed to shake all the coconuts off the trees. <laughs> <laughs> it makes the harvest so much easier. So yeah, they say, uh, yeah, we gotta, we better make sure that it's guarded, and they all agree on that. Indeed. So at this point, the professor and Marvel Girl return from their office, and the professor says, "You must go find Grotesque." And everyone's like, "What? We didn't tell you about Grotesque." He's like, "I read your thoughts, chump." <laughs> I read your thoughts. Get over it. You're not special. <laughs> Oh, jeez, all right. So they off they, they get dressed and... Uh, he has Marvel Girl stay behind. He says, you four X-Men boys go, Marvel Girl, I need you to remain behind. 
Could it possibly be that he's in love with her just as I am? Well, if we go back to issue <laughs> six or whatever that was, we know he is in love with her. <laughs> to which I would say if the professor's casually eavesdropping on thoughts, wouldn't he just answer and be like, Jesus, Scott, would you just ask her on a date? Look, I've read her mind. Yeah, she's hot. She doesn't like me, though. She's into you. She's totally. into you. She totally thinks I'm a creepy old man, and I don't blame her. I am pretty creepy. I'm so sick. Of, look, if you don't ask her, I'm going to mind wipe you and make you ask her. Professor, would you do that for me? And then I'm going to transfer my mind into your mind, and we're going to have sex with her, and it's going to be awesome. But you're not going to know about it. Only I will. Dude, if I was the professor, that's what I would do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> okay, anyways. <laughs> So the four X-Men boys, they go to the, um, the, where, uh, the they go, they go back to the boulder. Yeah. The subway, the subway yep. where, uh, where they first met grotesque beast once again, tries to move the boulder and by George, he's got it. Yeah. He just tried a little harder this time and he got it. Well, he was, he was able to move it just like, just to loosen it. He was able to loosen it, and then Cyclops is going to use his optic beams to take that slight nudge and um, force the the rest of the boulder. Yeah, he basically blasts it out of the way. Let's see. And so they enter the this subterranean tunnels, and Angel takes off wildly like he usually does. Yeah. Oh, see you guys. Then they enter the crumbling ruins and discover the amazing alien civilization that must have existed here, except that it's not alien because it's from here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Angel, they're like, oh, where's where's Warren? He shouldn't be flying around like that. He's not a match for grotesque. But Angel comes flying back. It's like, oh, I'm right here. I just explored everything. Boy, it's really sealed off over there. I've searched every inch of this place up to a point just ahead where it's really sealed off. <laughs> so basically, I've seen nothing. <laughs> they go to where it's really sealed off. Uh, apparently, Beast has a really good sense of smell, and he says, Oh, he grotesque was right here recently. I can, I can smell it on him. <laughs> and so then uh, Cyclops says, Oh, well, we've got to go tell the professor we found his lair. But they can't contact the professor because there's too much radioactive re- radioactivity to use their wrist radios, and they can't use mind powers because well, they don't really say why, but probably because of the radioactivity. No, it says actually right here. Um, Beast says, "Yet why doesn't the professor contact us? He could use easily do it by mental telepathy." Mm. So th- there's a couple of things going on here. First of all, the X Men don't generally find bad guys hide out and then contact the professor for further orders. Uh, you know? Yeah, yeah. And second of all, they don't usually wonder, like, why hasn't he mentally contacted us yet? Maybe there's something about this place that blocks his mental powers. Or maybe he's got other things on his mind. A certain girl? Mm, maybe. Well. Well, now Cyclops is hell-bent on trying to get a hold of the professor, so he's like, all right, Iceman and Angel, you go back to the school while the Beast and I wait here. Let me know what you catch happening. 
if, if anything's happening, just <laughs> let me know. Take a Polaroid. Could you take I a picture? details. And don't let the professor know you're back. Um, I, I got to point this out in, in my comic book. Uh, the next page is an advertisement for the Mothers of Invention. Frank Zappa? Yeah. Hmm. It's cool. we're, we're only in it for the money. That same wonderful, wholesome, and American teen rock combo that is responsible for freak out and absolutely free. <laughs> I thought that this was very interesting that there was a Frank Zappa ad in my comic book. Nifty. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Grotesque has shown up now to uh, where the the machine is, I, I guess, or, or was. Yeah, yeah. Oh, because they hit it and... And so this guy's like, oh, my gosh, who are you? You're so big. And ah, and he falls over. He basically faints. Yep. What craven cowards these dwellers in the outer world be. This one collapses in stark fear of me. He's become some sort of a poet. Yeah. And yet, well, might he tremble in abject fright before grotesque, the subhuman. Of might. Yeah. For when I find the weapon I seek, I shall obliterate this very planet and all that dwell upon it. That are weak. And all that are weak. <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to keep the rhyme thing happening. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. And so now we go back to the mansion where Iceman and the Angel find Marvel Girl just kind of hanging out, waiting. Genie, are we glad to see you're still awake after all that activity you clearly have been doing? You look flush, Gene. <laughs> Why does he say we're glad to see you're still awake? Well, because earlier uh, when the professor sent them out, they're like, oh, here comes the professor, and we're still up past our bedtimes. Oh, right. So okay. he doesn't pay them. He can give them, he can basically ground them from the city, and they all have curfews. That's rough. Professor, man, it's terrible. He got your call that you weren't able to give before you arrived and left. But how about filling me in? Yeah. Uh-huh. And so they tell Marvel Girl what's going on, and she says, and you want me to come back with you to rendezvous with Scott and Hank? Well, I'd like to, but I can't. Can or won't, lady. I don't think you're leveling with us. That story about the prof cutting out won't hold water. So now Angel's like, uh-oh, Marvel Girl, are you a traitor? <laughs> are you and the professor traitors? Think what you want, Warren. I still can't go with you, but you must believe me. I'm terribly worried. Worried about your safety. It shows all over. She acts distracted, like her mind's a million miles away, and it's as if she and the professor no longer care what happens to the other X-Men or to mankind. Yeah, so then they leave, I guess. Uh, so we go back to the college... The device which caused the Earth tremor was gone, so I returned here. But when the surface dweller I captured revives, I shall... What kind of crazy dream did I have? So, sniveling one, you have awoken. Tell me where your weapon is to be found, or... (laughs) Basically. Essentially. Do not speak in riddles, worm. Tell me what I wish to know, or I will crush you with my bare hands. Put him down, Grotesque. And then there's a big face-off between Grotesque. Now kind of looks like, I don't know, a member of Black Sabbath? Yeah, or, uh, yeah, or a um, uh, wrong-colored Kiss member. 
Yeah, I'm thinking I'm thinking Ozzy meets He Man. Yeah, kinda. Uh and he says, Oh, you're gonna challenge me, the subhuman, and it's just Beast and Cyclops, and they're like, Uh oh, I don't know if we're gonna have a chance against him, but we need to hold him at bay till the others get here. The Cyclops says, We attack as a team, Hank, and I will I will place down money that in the next issue Hank attacks on his own. Somebody will attack on their own, and they will not be attacking as a team. And that ends this particular story on a cliffhanger. And check this out, people. Next ish, the mind-staggering story you never expected to see, and we never expected to print. The The Death death of of Professor X. (laughs) Man, we suck. (laughs) (laughs) I'll have you know that took us three tries to get that right. Anyhow, yeah, uh, there you go. That's uh, that's uh, there you go. So you know, that's the first story of uh, of this issue. I thought it was uh, it was okay, mildly entertaining. Anyways, like kind of like the backstory that, or not the backstory, but the uh, the character development that we're getting with the professor and Marvel Girl. I think it's a little rushed, but you know, I thought it was kind of frustrating. Did all you? that all that gibberish about old people that don't know about humans and but they are humans but now they're subhumans oh no the, it, the grotesque story was horrible yeah <laughs> i'll agree with that the, there's about seven panels in here which is like oh this is kind of adding to marvel lore it seems you know the backstory i mean once once they defeat grotesque in this underworld we'll never hear from him again yeah exactly <laughs> and i'm sure that whole thing will be retconned right out of existence most definitely so our our second story is called The Living Diamond and in quotes it says named Neil. All right, it doesn't really say that. <laughs> that actually took me a moment. <laughs> uh yeah, and so the professor has got well I guess I, we should start here. Roy Thomas and Werner Roth brought us this with Jay Verporten who's inking and Sam Rosen doing the lettering. Busy people. And to catch us up, they have a pretty good uh, catch-up. A confused Scott Summers has reluctantly accompanying, accompanied the evil mutant who calls himself Jack of Diamonds to a darkened nuclear power plant where, for the first time, the pair come face-to-face with Professor X. Got it? Got it. Let's go. Okay, so the professor's got... Uh, the professor has Jack of Diamonds locked in, like, a mental stalemate because uh, Jack of Diamonds also has mental powers and is using them against the professor. But apparently the professor is only slightly more strong than the Jack of Diamonds. Right. And he tell the Jack of Diamonds tells Cyclops, blast him now while he's focusing all his energy on me. And Scott's like, no, I can't. I won't. No matter what happens, I won't become a cold-blooded killer. And this is where Jack of Diamonds is like, oh, this bald-headed guy, his mental powers are stronger than mine. I got to do something. What am I going to do? I got these diamond hands. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to punch this girder. It's always girders. Wham! So he punches the girder and um, picks it up, I guess, and throws it. Yeah. Picks it up and throws it at the professor. The professor falls over. and <laughs> Those the... diamond hands seem to give him incredible strength. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then here, he hurled that entire steel support at me. I had barely enough psychic power left to make it miss me. <laughs> what did he mind wipe the girder into missing him? <laughs> well, he mind he mind wiped uh, Jack of Diamonds into thinking he was two degrees to the left. 
I don't know. Those little mental waves are clearly coming out of the professor's head yeah, and aimed towards the girder, <laughs> inferring that he has some limited ability of telekinesis, which up until this point, I don't think he's displayed. Well, more on that later. Okay. They do talk about in the next panel that even though Charles Xavier's mental bolts cannot stop the heavy beam from smashing into a nearby wall and the ceiling collapses. On top of the man in the wheelchair, he's still back there. You can't help him, kid. Save yourself. Jack of Diamonds and Cyclops, or Jack of Diamonds and Scott Summers escape, and uh, Jack of Diamonds needs Scott Summers for his plan. He wants to get back into the lab where he was zapped with the uh, atomic rays that turn him into a diamond and re-zap himself. Mm-hmm. So... No wonder you were worried about me. You still need me to help you break in into the cyclotron center. Or is it the oscillotron center? Hmm. No, it's not. It's the cyclotron. Of course not. That's the future. It's the cyclotron center. So they they go over to another building, and uh, Jack of Diamonds is like, there's the building I want. I was mixed up before, which I guess he teleported them into the wrong building. Oh, well, okay, that's fine. I believe it. So yeah, guard... it was completely unnecessary dialogue. <laughs> so the the uh, guard comes out, a guard comes out and says, hey, you, stop right there. And, and Jack Diamond's like, shoot him, or I'm going to have to kill him. I'm going to have to kill you with my bare hands. Uh, Cyclops shoots him to prevent Jack and Diamonds from having to, or shoots his gun to prevent Jack and Diamonds from having to kill him. Nice going, Summers. You'll shape up yet. Come on while he runs for help. We can bust into this building. Yes, while and, he runs uh, for help and gets police and guns and tanks. I think Jack of <laughs> Diamonds makes a se- severe mistake here by not using his mental powers on this guy and like turning him into, I don't know, fruitcake or something. Well, I don't know if his... We don't really know how his mental powers work. That's true. But why is he letting this guy run away and escape? Yeah, because he's dumb. Okay. Uh, So Cyclops ducks behind uh, some trees. I guess he wants to figure out what to do next. And uh, Jack of Diamond smashes through the door with his hands and goes into the nerve center of the nuclear complex, makes it to a bunch of dials, starts operating the cyclotron, and says this is what he really needs the kid for more than anything else. It'd be better to have somebody else operate this cyclotron thing while I give myself a dose full. But no use crying over spilled beer. I'll handle the whole bit myself. So he doesn't need Cyclops at all. No, no. And he certainly doesn't need somebody with optic eyes. No, this is, this is all kind of pointless. But uh, so he steps in the way of the beam and he says, it's working, it's working. I know it's risky, but my mutant body can withstand it. Ah. Uh... Then no power on Earth will be able to stop him. I mean, think about it. This guy has diamond hands. He can teleport, and he's got mental powers. Yeah. This guy's got mad power. He's like the Beyonder. He's the first evil villain. That's true. Jack of Diamonds. So it turns out that the professor wasn't smashed by the building. He was able to right himself in his wheelchair and climb out of the rubble. Well, he says, um, the one who called himself Jack of Diamonds didn't stop to think that my mental bolts would shield me from tons of concrete. Oh. Okay. <laughs> so he can make a mental force field, too. 
Apparently. Yeah, this guy can do whatever he wants. Yeah, he's just got amazing mental powers. But apparently he for- forgot to use he forgot how to use all of these powers in the X-Men's later adventures. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, he sometimes uses his mental bolts to move things. Not as a force field. True. So he gets himself out and uh, he's he's racing towards where the action is. <laughs> yeah, it looks like he's racing this uh this jeep that's driving by. If I could only catch up to that jeep in my wheelchair. Yes, it does. It absolutely likes, it looks like he's racing the Jeep. But in the next panel, Cyclops decides that, well, um, uh, I don't know what he decides, but he basically shoots the car. If these, if I let these guys take on Jack of Diamonds, then... Jack of Diamonds will kill them. Right. So I'm just going to kill them myself. I mean, uh, blast their Jeep, forcing them to not be killed yeah and then they dive out and then they say well we'll have to use our guns against him meaning cyclops the professor's like oh guns no they must not even if the boy's still harmed there's only one thing to do so rather than mind wiping them all and being like you these are not the droids you're looking for he decides to mentally immobilize them yes knocks them all unconscious which seems like it would take a fair amount more power but whatever that's what he does then he starts communicating with Scott. He's like, hey there, buddy. Uh, I can read your mind. It's totally cool. Let's uh, let's be buddies. Let's hang out, I, get a soda, you know. Cyclops is like, whatever you say, sir. I don't know who you are, but somehow I feel that I can and must trust you. Not like that Jack of Diamonds character at all. And uh, Jack of Diamonds is finishing up his diamond em- embodiment, I guess. His diamond blasting. I guess this is probably the origin of um, Emma Frost. Yeah, I was I was thinking that. Because I, I think Jack of Diamonds is going to turn into a woman. <laughs> Although that was her secondary mutation. Yeah. Retcon. Yeah, well. <laughs> All right, so he gets blasted by this thing, and then he... More power! More! More! And then he gets out, and he says, Oh, I feel different. Heavier. <laughs> Must get out the fastest way I can. Oh, yeah. He does a Kool-Aid man through a brick wall, and then he says, nobody's going to stop, uh, stand in the way of the living diamond. And he says, now he's changed names. He's no, I don't remember what his real name was, but he went from that to Jack of Diamonds. Jack Winters. He's gone from Jack Winters to Jack of Diamonds to now he's the living diamond. He should have stuck with Jack of Diamonds. Makes more sense. And that's the end of this part of the tale. Next issue, we get the end or the beginning. Bum, bum, bum. I'm going to guess that it's both. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, <clears throat> there you have it, folks. There you have it, folks. Two tightly wound X-Men tales brought to you uh, in the excitement that only Adam and I can bring to you. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody else can bring this same excitement to you. It's true. It's true. Nobody else. So don't think about starting your own podcast. No, I just keep listening to this one. Um, And and to that end, you know, I I think this week was kind of quiet. I don't think we got too many. I don't think we got any notes from anybody. No, we didn't get any any notes on Facebook. Uh, One of the methods you can contact us. You didn't. We didn't get any emails asking us about our daily lives and how we used to put comics on our walls. And um, we didn't get any letters, uh, reviews, and iTunes. 
is another way you can uh, you can help us out. It's putting a five star review on the old iTunes there. Uh huh. Or you can email us at uh, dangerroom at redcapproductions dot com. Uh, dot com forward slash dangerroom is where you can get this episode as well as other episodes and see some of the more wonderful panels that we like to uh, poke fun at. And then you can uh, follow us on our Twitter feed at Danger Room Go. And, uh, yeah, there there you go. Anything else before uh, we get ready for the death of Professor X? Bring it on. Okay. Well, until that time, folks, the Danger Room is closed. Very, very hard. Jack of Diamonds is a hard car to find. When you play the game of life, you've got trouble, you got strife. Jack of Diamonds is a hard car to find. Money made a spark, Jack of Diamonds is a hard car to find.